Welcome to season four of BU Podcast. Hello, it's Jill. Welcome back to BU Podcast. So this conversation with Kiki Herwitt is one that has been coming for quite some time. And it is really special and it's really unique because my relationship with Kiki is special and unique and her coming to the podcast is something that's never happened before. So Kiki and I connected on Instagram because the universe decided to put her story in front of me. I wish I could remember when, I wish I could remember how, but I remember seeing one of her reels and I was like, holy shit. First of all, this woman is a year and a half older than me and she has had an unbelievable health transformation. She's lost almost 50 pounds, completely transformed her body. She's so strong and she's lifting heavy weights at 53. I mean, deadlifting, posing in a string bikini, looking like, I mean, just a complete picture of not just health, but strength and vitality. And I was so inspired. I was also confronted because I'm and probably close to the worst shape of my life right now and not putting on muscle and not at my ideal weight. So I was confronted, but really, really, really inspired. So I started digging into her account and I was like, oh my God, I love her. I love her essence. I love her vibe. I love her attitude. I wish I had more of her. Like I wish I could see video of her. I want to hear her speak. I just wanted more. But I kept looking at her post because I was so attracted, and I'll, I'll say it again, inspired. Not because everybody needs to lose weight. Everybody needs to go to the gym or, or lift heavy weights. But to see somebody go from where she was to what I saw on those videos, on those reels, it was, I mean, it was a remarkable transformation. So I DM'd her. I messaged her on Instagram and just said, I love your account. I love you. You're so inspiring. Like, I just think you're amazing. And she messaged right back. And I remember feeling like, oh, she messaged me back. I'm so excited she messaged me back. (laughs) She was so, I mean, just even more beautiful in quote unquote real life, you know, like actually talking to her. We ended up chatting back and forth and back and forth for hours, day after day after day after day. I would go on my long walks and we would talk about so many things, health, wellness, marriage, parenting, personal growth. I mean, everything you can imagine. And I was like, I just love you. And she's like, I love you too. (laughs) Then she started listening to the podcast and she was like, oh my God, I love your podcast. And I don't need my friends to love my podcast. But when she said that she loved the podcast, we immediately had an even deeper bond because that means she was listening and seeing parts of me that even my closest friends have never seen. And she wasn't just okay with it. She loved those parts of me. She loved that I was sharing it. So we got even closer. So as the months went by, you know, I went through something very painful and, you know, she was one of two people I reached out to and she like coached me through that and supported me through that and held space for me and then shared vulnerable pieces of her life. And Anyway, I'm kind of talking all over the place, but it's it's a really beautiful thing that has happened because of Instagram. So we decided to jump on the phone and we talked for hours, I think like three hours maybe. And we both were like, okay, we have to meet each other. We need to see each other. We're trying to make plans for me to go out and meet her and her husband in Vermont and have my husband come along. And I said to her, please be on my podcast. 
because I want you, and you're about to, but I want you to not just hear her story. Just the story alone is riveting. I mean, what this woman has gone through, I mean, I didn't know half of it. Even much of it was revealed on the podcast interview. There are things that I did not know. And I want you to hear that. Of course, it's going to inspire the hell out of you. You are going to really, really look at life differently. You're going to look at health differently. You're going to be even more grateful for the people in your life and for what you have. You'll be inspired by her going from severe, just near debilitating, definitely life-threatening illness and tragic loss and decades of depression and darkness to this just, I'll call her like a superwoman now. But I also, even if she didn't have that story, I'm telling you, I would want you to meet her. And you'll see what I mean in a few minutes. There's just this beautiful, beautiful essence about Kiki. And what I would say that I love most about Kiki is she's so incredibly intelligent. She is so incredibly successful. And I had to yank it out of her after months of getting to know her, by the way. She's so humble, very, very, very successful in the business world. And yet, at the same time, she's super creative. She's hilarious, very witty, so down to earth and grounded, very just loving and inclusive and accepting of others. And she also has this really cool edgy side to her. Anyway, she's just the kind of woman that to me, if someone said to you, like, not just what would be your avatar, Jill, for a Bee podcast, and that would be like, who are you wanting to have as a listener? Like, who would you, how, how would you describe your average listener? If they said, who's your like top tier avatar? Like, who do you want this podcast to attract? It would be someone like Kiki. Someone like her who's so committed to her own growth while being willing to take people along on that journey. She's it. So let me tell you about Kiki. I'm going to read a bio much longer than what I would normally read because I don't want to take anything out. There's so much that could be said about her and I I just don't want to miss any of it, okay? So I'm gonna read quite a bit here and you're gonna love it. So first of all, Kiki Herwitt is a mama bear. She is a mental health and wellness advocate, a midlife athlete, as I said, at 53 years old, NASM certified behavior change coach, 25 plus career in corporate risk management with a motto of kindness first, which I love. After being diagnosed as pre-diabetic with high cholesterol and poor health markers in early of 2021, Kiki embarked on a transformational health journey that took her deep within, exploring dark corners that had been long ignored and needed healing. Her gritty journey resulted in a physical weight loss of 47 pounds and a newfound confidence in a bodybuilder's gym doing deadlifts and pull-ups at 53 years old. But most importantly, she found courage to share her voice, to give air to deep, deep trauma, and wrap herself in a community of dynamic and like-minded women, and ultimately to find her light, maybe for the first time. In a world that glorifies and rewards conformity and self-abandonment, it's easy to feel lost on the journey to self-discovery. What is often diminished as inconsequential are the soft, subtle, lonely moments where true, lasting progress begins and long-term success is galvanized. 
Drawing from her professional career, as well as her deeply personal road to mental and physical health, Kiki believes in the small wins that solidify true transformation from the inside out. Her warmth, wit, humor, and compassion are the pillars that support her gift of connection. Why I just second that wholeheartedly. While her true passion lies in helping others recognize their unlimited potential as they learn to celebrate their progress. Through the deep healing of her own trauma, Kiki not only understands the importance of holding space for grief, but she also found metal in the mundane, quiet, road less traveled. This powerful insight has become the cornerstone of her own successful transformation and it lights the path for others to see the beauty in imperfection, the value in vulnerability, all while giving them permission to shine their light. It is only in the light where one can truly see. This is where progress is found and true transformation occurs. I mean, do you see why I read every word of that? She's also a brilliant writer. I mean, I cannot wait for you to meet my new and dear friend who I've never met in the flesh, but my heart is hers for sure. Kiki Herwitt. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. I am so happy to be sitting with you, Kiki. First of all, your name is the best name ever. Were you given that name at birth? I was. Yeah, that my, my dad called me that, I don't know, as long as I can ever remember. But I went, my birth name is Karen. Oh. And I went back to Karen when I went to college thinking I was going to be an attorney. And who would want to hire an attorney named Kiki? <laughs> so I ditched it. So I have like segments of my life where people only know me as Kiki or only know me as Karen and don't know that. The other one is my other name, you know? I love so, it. Yeah. And so when I, I left corporate America about 18 months ago and was like, no, I just want to, I want to go back to what really feels playful and oh, yeah. kind of more me. You're such a Kiki. Yes. I mean, it's so, it suits you so well. And then it all happened around the time during COVID when to be a Karen and I was like, <laughs> oh, well, no. <laughs> we're definitely going back to Kiki then. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I started to say, and I'm going to say now, it's, it really is a pleasure to have you. Welcome to be you. Thank you for having me. I really feel honored to, to be sitting down with you. And I love the fact, I want the listeners to hear this, that you are a listener, that you listen to the podcast and you love it. And that really, it really changes the conversation. 
And I really, I want people on the show who get it. And the reason I say that isn't because I need you to like it for me to do you a favor and have you on here. The reason is because if, if the message resonates with you, then the listeners will resonate with you and you'll resonate with them. So you're already one of them. So they're going to love you. And I just, gosh, we were talking the other day and we could have so many conversations. I mean, you have lived a life. Well, so have you. That's true. Normally, as I was sharing with you, um, you know, in conversations with guests, I don't go into their past and their life story, not because I'm not interested, but it's not usually what we do. And you have been so open and vulnerable with me. And you gave me permission to ask you about your life. And the reason I want to share, go backwards before we talk about, you know, the message you're sharing with the world now, I really would love to share with them your life, like what you've lived through, what you've experienced, it will give them so much hope. It will show so much strength and perseverance and also that perseverance and strength is being broken down. It's not just numbing through and saying, I've got this, but you have been broken down so many times and shed so much. And just hearing what you've gone through, it really has inspired me. I've been talking about you since I I'll say met you online with a couple of friends and with my husband. And the more I learn about your past, it has put so much of my life in perspective because we can get in our, in our own victim story and we can get in our own, you know, woe is me. I've had this awful life, but I've triumphed story. And then I meet someone like you and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not something that you is, it's evident in your present like I've talked to you several times and I would have no clue that you've gone through that. And for some people, that's because they've numbed and they've pushed it away. And that's not what you've done. For you, you've transcended it. You've transmuted it. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing. So would you share, you know, your story as a younger woman and a young wife and a young mom, the cards that life handed you? Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for framing it that way because I feel... I get a little emotional hearing you say all that to me. So thank you for feeling that it inspires. And it's funny, I don't talk about it very much because my my big part of the story, which I'll get to in a second, is really around grief. And the lesson, and it's not a lesson, but what my experience was going through deep, deep grief, you lose a lot of friends because you become a little bit radioactive. And this all happened to me at a very young age. So starting with that part of my story at age 28, married to love of my life, dream guy, great marriage, building a family. We had a two and a half year old son or not quite two and a half, but two years and maybe four months or so. And I had eight weeks prior to my husband passed away, October 6th, 1998. Very, very suddenly he was a pro hockey player. And had played in the NHL for a few years, IHL, played up and down. And we were playing in Europe at the time. We were living in Berlin. And he was playing in a game in Dusseldorf. It was being televised. I was watching from our home in, in Berlin. Had just put our son down to bed. And I saw something happen on the ice. He had scored three goals. So had a hat trick. And then he sat down on the bench and he clenched his his heart and couldn't breathe and he died right there 
Oh. It was all being televised. They rolled him onto the ice. They cut him open on the ice to massage his heart. I mean, this is grotesque. I shouldn't tell that part of the story. No, I listen. I love that you're telling that part of the story. I didn't know that was going to come out. But German television, you know, in retrospect, I'm kind of in horror that they showed that, and they did. I don't know that they would in the states. And then the phone starts ringing, and it's the head coach, and it's the medical director of the team, and it's all this stuff. And my son, who hadn't really been speaking much is standing up in his crib. He's, you know, he's two years and four months. So he's in like a a playpen kind of crib thing. And, or maybe more of like a bed with rails is more of a better description, but he stood up and he said, Papa, Papa. And I was like, wait a minute. And all of this, like my life was swirling and stuff, just everything was collapsing around me. And before this, so a precursor to this experience our main home off season was in Quebec city. And I had just eight weeks prior lost twins that, you know, wasn't very far along in my pregnancy, but we knew they were twins. It turned out one was ectopic. And so that was, I went in for a routine ultrasound, just kind of a checkup, wasn't feeling anything abnormal. And an hour later I was in surgery. So that was like a total whiplash of excitement about being pregnant and building this family together and then having that ripped from me, literally. I mean, it just saved my life. I understand it was a dangerous pregnancy. And then, so it was eight weeks later that my husband passed away Mm. and I'm there with a little over two-year-old son who precious as could be and needed me. And I just went into survivor mode. And I'm fortunate. I, I obviously went back to the States, went back to Canada, um, where our main home was in Quebec, and, you know, started reinventing my life piece by piece. But the interesting part and why I think I really don't talk about this much in my life was it was such a jarring experience to have such a close-knit kind of hockey life community and, and lovely people, incredible people. But nobody knows how to carry grief. It's hard, it's heavy, it's really, really ugly. And it becomes radioactive because the experience of grief, you you don't understand it for weeks. I didn't cry. I couldn't, I mean, yeah, I cried, but I didn't deeply, deeply like, holy shit, this just fucking happened. And I don't know how to pick myself up. That didn't hit me for probably six weeks or so after the funeral. And... Yeah, it was just a really, really deep period of my life. And a lot of my friends, I don't blame them for this, but just weren't able to kind of carry that with me. Yeah, and we we talk about that on this show. First of all, I just want to say thank you for being willing to share that because we could have just skipped over that and I knew that privately already. But the reason I'm so grateful that you shared it, it, I mean, it's multifaceted, but someone listening right now is saying, oh my gosh, I didn't know how to put that into words. Thank you. I'm radioactive. Oh, that's why I'm not getting phone calls. That's not why, that's why I'm not getting invited anywhere. Whether they just went through a horrible divorce or they lost a child or, or they have a health diagnosis and people are worried they're going to bring it up, you know, or how do we not bring it up? And it, people do become, that's a great word, radioactive. And then the isolation feeds the grief, but you don't know how to process it. And you need to do that in community and privately. But if you're not able to be in community, it just makes it so much harder and one thing we, you know, we talk about trauma and things like that a lot on the show, as you know, and yeah. I believe that, that it's hard for us to hold space for people 
who are in that amount of grief because we have not yet touched our own grief. We have not transmuted our own stuff from childhood that we may not even remember. And so it's like it's pinging my nervous system and it's overloading me and I don't know what to do. And so then it's almost like I go into that, you know, fight, flight, there's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, some mm-hmm. people call it, or yeah. please, you know, and I go into one of those. And it's almost like collectively your community does that because they don't even know that it's triggering their own stuff they've never faced. And you're just, it's its just so in their face. And it's so kind that you're giving them so much grace. And it's also, I think, important that you're calling it out because we all do it, Kiki. I, I, I feel like I'm a very feeling, loving empathic person. I really am. And guess what? I have missed more funerals than I want to admit. I have skipped out on funerals. I have made excuses. Funerals I should have been at. My best friend's stepfather in college. I didn't even go. The woman across the street from me when my children were little got diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. I avoided her like the plague. And I'm the kind of person who wanted to like, it doesn't surprise you. But it's because I realized now it was triggering all the stuff I had never processed myself. And it was too much. It was literally too much for my nervous system. And so I would just pretend they didn't exist. And I understand that. I think that's a really, I don't, I truly don't blame people in my life and friends. I really, truly think that we, we don't all hold the capacity to carry grief for other people. And, and I think we live in a society too, that very much we have a mourning period and then when it's over, party needs to move on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it may sound to the listener like I'm just <laughs> glossing over that. You and I have talked about this before, but I just want to give them a minute to take that in to really take a breath because that was a lot to hear. You know, it's painful hearing someone else that even that, even that you've never met go through something like that. I mean, it's not just the death. It's that you had to witness that while... Ev- Everyone else is witnessing it. You didn't get to see it first. You're witnessing it in real time with everyone else. And that's your husband. I just can't even imagine. Yeah, it was very surreal. And I think one of the things too that happened, and I can only really relate these things together in retrospect, I became very ill, like deathly ill about 18 months after he passed. And I had contracted um, what's called pseudomonas pneumonia, which you contract. I contracted from airborne mold that I disturbed with a, a power sander, just trying to take care of some superficial mold on a door. And I had a can mask on and everything. I was very safe and I took it off too quickly. But what transpired from that experience was I ended up in a coma for 10 and a half weeks on death's door. I mean, the story is really, really crazy. And it was almost, you know, seven months before I was home from, you know, ICU, rehab, all the rest. The reason I bring that up is we carry grief in our lungs. Mm. And my pulmonologist, I remember sitting down with me and really explaining to me his belief around why did the, the bacteria attack my lung? And yes, I inhaled it. And that's logical, right? But But more than that, he really believed it was tied to the deep, deep grief that I was carrying and was so heavy. And I, you know, I just, I didn't know how to work through it. And, and even really close people in my life, family members would say, it's time to move on, get on with it. Mm. And it was, it was like two months after he'd passed away. Mm. 
you know, time to move on. And I was just barely understanding what had happened. I mean, or even, you know, so yeah, it was quite a few years, many years. And I think just recently I understood or, you know, heard from like, you know, somatically we carry that. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but yeah. Yeah. So soma means body. So yeah, okay. yeah, you're carrying it in your lungs. Grief is held in your lungs. I'm fascinated yeah. that that doctor was that insightful. And yeah. I mean, most people in the world don't know that. Most physicians don't know that, or they would say it's not true. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. That's not a coincidence that you had that doctor. It's not. He shared that with me. You know, we I had to see him for many checkups for months and months after that experience. And it was a miracle that I lived. Truly, truly a miracle. And my son was living with his grandparents up in Montreal and they were lovely, incredible people. We still are all very, very close. So yeah, I'm I'm so, so lucky and blessed on so many levels that does not escape me. Isn't it beautiful that you just said that? You just said, I'm lucky and blessed and listen to what you just said, share with us. I mean, what a perspective. And that's not what we call spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing is, well, everything happens for a reason and it was meant to happen and I mean, you felt it and now you can feel it and hold that that pain in you, holding the emotion you're having right now while still saying, I'm still, I'm lucky and blessed. You're not saying in spite of. And that's that right there is is a sign of healing. When you said I wasn't able to process the guilt, right? You didn't know how, but but you did process over the years or else you would be in the same place, right? You would still be, you can, you get what I'm saying. You could still be grieving while moving forward in a beautiful way towards love and light, which is what you're doing. But some people, an ounce of what you went through, that just takes them down. And that's their story they carry for the rest of their life. And then they keep wondering why they keep attracting more pain, more victimhood, more pain, more victimhood. And then it rolls into the snowball of, I'm just one of those people who got dealt a bad hand from start to finish. For me, it was my childhood. For you, it was, you know, this the time period in your adult life. And and if we could just pause because, and I don't want to sort of like go through every quote unquote gory detail, but I do want to to pause because it is a lot to hear. You went through so much, but because you've processed, you can say it the way you're saying it. And I think the listener's like, wait, did she just say that after he died, 18 months later, then she almost died. I mean, it's, so you, do you mind sharing with them what you told me? Like you are now have one good lung because of this. This wasn't, I mean, this was very serious. It was very serious. So yeah, as a result of the pseudomonas pneumonia, what it, it, as disgusting as this sounds, it's a flesh eating bacteria and it literally ate my lung (laughs) and my, lung doesn't function on the right side. I've got tons of scar tissue. I lost probably the upper lobe and mid lobe. The lower lobe is still there, but just doesn't work. It's just so, so much scar tissue, but chest tubes literally, I mean, it's so gross to talk about literally we're sucking out tissue as it kind of gelatinized, I guess. (laughs) I'm not sure I understand that all, but that's how it was explained to me. So it's, it really is a miracle that you even survived that. I mean, so, yeah, so you, you were intubated, you could not breathe on your own. I'm assuming they put you in an induced coma Yep. and hoping you would survive. And then when you did, when you did wake up, I'm assuming it was tons of rehab. Well, and the interesting part is 
and I, I talked about this on my Instagram stories recently because the power of visualization was was what I was trying to relay in my post on my Instagram story. But I learned well. So let me back up. When I when I woke up from the coma, I'm heavily medicated and in and out of not sure what's real, what's not. And I had a very just incredible ICU nurse named Brad, who when it was his shift, he would always bring me his Walkman back in the day, right? And he would load it with really great music. And a lot of it was like classical music. And he would put the headphones on me. And I had chest, you know, tubes and wires and, you know, God knows everything. And the only thing I could do, the only way I could communicate with him was blinking my eyes. My brain was working, although they weren't sure it was because I had had such a very, very, very dangerously high fever for so long. He'd put the headphones on me and be like, go for a run. I'm just going to take care of your body for a little while. And... And he meant it. And he would say this over and over, you know, just go for a run, go outside, go for a walk. And I started to learn what he meant by visualizing. And his story was, he was a U.S. Marine who had been in a terrible, terrible motorcycle accident several years prior and was in the same hospital. I was at University of Connecticut Hospital and, you know, shattered, collapsed his lungs, shattered bones. I mean, he was there, I think, 18 months. It was a long time, like really bad. And he came out of that experience wanting to give back and get into the medical profession and became a nurse. And he was incredible. So having him was just like having an angel by my side who taught me, you know what, you can leave your body right now and go do something fun just for you. Go take care of you. Go get some sunshine. Go for a run. Go for a walk. I'm going to take care of your body but you go have a good time. And meanwhile, he would put the headphones on me. He'd bathe me or, you know, change stuff, IVs, whatever he's doing. But I learned so much the power of visualizing a different outcome because I would imagine myself in a healthy, vital body. And I don't think I understood at this point in time how dire it all was. And I just, I could literally feel my legs moving and feel my arms moving and feel motion, and I could feel sunshine on my skin, as crazy as that may sound. And I think the lesson for me was that I can translate that to all kinds of things. So on this health journey that I've been on, I keep imagining myself getting healthier and stronger and more vital. And what could I do next? And how does it feel? And once I feel it, it, it becomes easier to actually become that. It does. And it's interesting because intuitively you, you're doing this and you you understand what the rest of us have to kind of like learn cerebrally. So the whole law of attraction, you know, the whole, I'm going to visualize something and have it come true. The reason it doesn't quote unquote work for people, I mean, the law of attraction works, but it doesn't work the way people want it to, right? Or envisioning the life we want is because we never do what you just said. We don't tap into the feeling of it. Because we can think all day long, I want to be healthy, I want to be this, I want to be that, and say affirmations all day long. But first of all, if we don't tap into the feeling and be it, like really close our eyes and be it. So you were in a hospital bed and you weren't thinking about running, right? You were running. In your mind's eye, you took yourself into a place where you could feel your legs moving. You said you could feel the sun on your face. That's different than I'm going to think about how great it'd be if I could run. And tell myself, I'm going to get out of this hospital. I am healthy. I am strong. What you did 
truly created that for yourself. And, and you're right. That's such a great example of what we can all do with our lives in general. And I don't want to fast forward too quickly, but that's, you know, where you are now. So I just have a couple of questions about when you were sick. So when you were in that state for however many weeks it was where you were unconscious, do you remember anything? <laughs> I remember going into the ER. I remember being intubated, them shoving a tube down you my throat. you remember that? I do. Because oh. I was coughing up handfuls of blood at that point. And my temperature, my body temperature was going down, not up. So my body wasn't fighting anything. So they they knew immediately when I came into the ER that they had to put me into a, a you know an induced coma. Now, this is the nurse in me. And let me just interrupt. Sorry. I'm going to be annoying to, to those of you yeah, listening. But this it. is the nurse in me. Right after you were standing, how soon did you start feeling sick? And how soon did your fever spike? And how soon did you know I need to go to the ER? 24 hours. Did you call someone and they took you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't call somebody. They, well, I called somebody <laughs> and it was hours later. They came and found me passed out on my sunroom floor in the house. Oh my And my son, was, my son, thankfully was at daycare that day. So it was, you know, something like two or three in the afternoon, something like that. Oh. So they arranged to have him. Now I'm a single mom. I don't have anyone that can go pick him up. And I'm relatively new to the community. I just moved to in Connecticut because I've been living overseas and in Canada. And so I can't even remember who picked up my son. My mom lives in North Dakota. She was on the next flight out. Your in-laws were in. My in-laws are in Montreal. Yep. Are in Montreal. And so I didn't have anybody nearby. And I think it was a friend of mine that I met. I can't even quite remember if Linda picked him up or not. But somehow then my in-laws came down from Montreal because all of this moved so quickly, right? I didn't have a chance to call anyone and say, Hey, by the way, I'm going to be in a coma for 10 weeks. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, my in-laws came and got Freddie and scooped him up and took him, you know, he had a fabulous summer, didn't know anything. He was, you know, he turned three while it was in a coma. So yeah, just all of these things moved so quickly. Mm-hmm. Did you see your husband? Did you see angels? Did you have conversations? Anything? Mm, yeah, not in like, I wouldn't say I saw my husband. I felt presences or the presence of other, you know, really calming. And I don't know if it was him or what it was. I also had really vivid dreams. I mean, I guess morphine and whatever will do that to you, right? But I had some really colorful, good, positive, very, you know, beautiful dreams that I vividly remember to this day. I also remember doctors' conversations, University of Connecticut Hospital, was it's a teaching hospital. So they're constantly bringing in. And while I was in a bubble, they didn't know if I had like E. coli or Ebola or whatever. Sorry, I don't know what term, but some really bad infectious disease. So I was literally in a, in a bubble that they didn't let anybody into the room unless they were in like a hazmat suit for a while, I guess. That's what I was told. But yeah, I remember conversations that the doctors would have. And I brought this up to my pulmonologist months after I was better and recovering and now going for visits. And I was, you know, back home out of rehab and all that. And I remember saying to my pulmonologist, I remember something about cutting my leg off. What is that? It was like this recurring dream I kept having. Like, why am I thinking about this? And he said, it was a conversation we had. I was, I was septic. I was bleeding into tertiary spacing. 
all this bad stuff. And my leg was really, really infected. And I have this large scar on my hip, maybe, you know, four or five inches long, where they literally just cut it open and let it drain. And the conversation they were having was, we may need to amputate her leg if this doesn't clear. Wow. And I remembered that conversation. And I really, and so going back to Brad, my amazing ICU nurse, I think one of the reasons, and maybe I'm making this up, I think one of the reasons he put the headphones on my head was to protect me from some of those conversations mm. because they're, they don't take it into consideration that the patient may be consuming what they're talking about. They're just doing their jobs. And I'm a, I'm a lab experiment at that point. And people in the residency are learning from the doctors and whatever. So those are the things I remember. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for letting me pry a little bit. Yeah. So I agree with you when you said, maybe I'm making this up. You're not making it up. You know, that that's one of the reasons because you know better than anyone. So your brain is telling you, maybe that's not true, right? It's your body knows it's true. Your intuition knows it's true. It was probably, there are many reasons. Another reason I'm thinking is that not only could you hear conversations that would be painful for you to know, but also you, the energy, you know, I'm a former ICU nurse. So the energy in there is one, they're there to save your life. Good. That's great. But that doesn't mean it's positive energy. Like it's a lot of like adrenaline. It's a lot of, you know, what are we doing next? It may be calm, but it's intense. And there also might be negative energy and there might be fear that there, that, that the nurses start getting attached to you and they're wondering if you're going to be okay or, oh my God, her poor toddler. And so you having those headphones then also was able to just keep that from entering you in one way. That's, that's, that's one thing that just came to me. What amazing man. I did have one other ICU nurse when I was awake and alert and heavily medicated, of course. I don't know if it's true or not, but this was one of my good memories from this whole experience. Again, the only way I could communicate is kind of blinking my eyes at this point. And I think his name was Rick or Ricky or something, but he would come in and take care of me, bathe me, stuff like that. He always washed my hair so well, but he would dance and he would like take his you know shirt off and he had these ripped abs and he was hilarious and it was like he was putting on a Chippendale show and he told me he was a stripper I'm almost positive that's what I remember <laughs> anyway that's that's the way I remember this guy he was like just a total comic in the best way I was like yes we all need this levity take your shirt off for god's sakes let us see the abs yeah, oh my was, gosh yeah. we're gonna do a follow-up episode where we reunite you with the stripper uh-huh. and Brad and Brad and, and this and the guy that you thought was stripper is going to be like 350 pounds. He's going to say, yep, never said that. <laughs> that was the morphine. <laughs> I could be making this up. Yeah, it could be morphine, but I clearly oh, I I love remember it. anyway. You know, he probably was doing that because anyone who can do that kind of work and be in situations like that every day with patients, that was probably one of his gifts. Okay. So the reason I really wanted to dig into the, all that pain is one. I knew that it would be a a blessing, I guess I'll say the word blessing to anyone listening. I don't want you to feel that Kiki's story is, it means that your pain, because it's not as big, isn't significant. Absolutely. Struggle, yeah. struggle, pain is pain, et cetera. But I wanted you to hear all the details of it when we only heard like a third of it. So that we, now when we talk about where she is, 
you really can see what transformation looks like. You really can get a real grasp of what it really means to say, I am taking my fucking life back. Because it would be understandable for Kiki to have an okay life or a not so okay life after that. And just have a sort of blah, mediocre life. How could you not with what she came from? And that would be her identity. And everybody who met her would say, oh my God, do you know Kiki's story? Did you hear? The interesting thing is most people who know Kiki, who she meets now, they have no idea she has that past. They have no clue. And it's not because it's not okay to share our ugly and share our pain. It's because, as I said, she's transmuted it. She's now this caterpillar who's grown into this beautiful butterfly and she doesn't need to teach and inspire people by going back to the pain. She can teach and inspire people by showing her wings and showing them that they can have wings and like that. And that's what I love about you, Kiki. It's such a beautiful thing. So I found you through Instagram and I found you, My our listeners here know my story. If you're a new listener, I'll tell it really quick that I had health issues primarily as a result of a combination of toxic breast implants after 25 years, an enormous amount of stress and not knowing how to cope with that stress and process and get it out of my body along with you know pain and trauma for my whole life and then perimenopause. And because of that, I gained a bunch of weight after someone who's was annoyingly thin my whole life. I was that person that people are like, you can eat anything, you make me sick. I just, I just never gained weight. And so 35 to 40 pounds heavier all of a sudden, right? And so in the past couple of years, I vacillated between 35 pounds overweight, 25 pounds either way. I've gotten to the point where I've just been really sick of it. And I've talked about it on the show. And for me personally, not feeling like myself, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was, there are no coincidences. And I was scrolling through Instagram and I have no idea how I saw Kiki. But I saw her and I saw she was 53. So that's two years older than me or a year and a half or so older than me. And I saw her in a little teeny tiny bikini, so fit and so strong and so vibrant, glowing skin, bright eyes, you know, healthy hair, strong lean muscles. And so happy, like I could feel your energy, Kiki, through the screen. And it wasn't, there, first of all, there's nothing wrong with like sexy selfies and people showing their body, but that's not what I saw. I saw someone who was like, I am strong. I am here. I love myself. I'm glowing. I'm vibrant. I'm sparkly. I'm like, it's like I could feel it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like the Harry Met Sally, when Harry Met Sally thing. I'm like, I will have what she's having. Like, give me more of that. And I also thought, it's so inspiring because I've lost that in myself. I didn't look like you do now ever, but I had that same sparkle. I had that same glow. I did feel beautiful and I was healthy at a healthy weight and, you know, fairly strong. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I could get that back somehow, but I don't know how. And so that's why I started following you. And I really was like a fangirl. Like I was following you and like, like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. And I, and I also, that was like, but I want more. I need video. Like I see these pictures, but I want her to talk to me. Like I want more. I know she has so much she could teach me. I also knew intuitively there was way more to that story. I knew there was way more depth to you than a bikini picture. The people who can't see that when they look at you, by the way, it's because they haven't discovered it yet in themselves. 
You know, there's that saying, when you spot it, you got it. So because of the deep work I've done in myself, and because of the trauma I've transmuted, I could feel there was way more to you than, look, I look great at 53. And that's the other reason I was attracted to you. So I remember, I have to, we'll have to look back and see our first messages, but I messaged you and we ended up messaging back and forth. And I was like, oh, the, the Viking girl messaged me, TK. She messaged me back. I was like so excited. And so we, we started messaging back and forth. And I, I said, I would love to have you on my podcast at some point. I just love your story, not knowing your full story. And so then you started listening to the podcast and you're like, oh my God, I love your podcast. And that's how this has happened. But I, I share that because this heaviness and pain and trauma you went through, it's like what grounds you and it's part of your story. Yet, as I said, you're so light and positive without being the, I'm just gonna pretend it didn't happen. I'm just not gonna talk about it. So I'm just mm-hmm. so amazed by you and proud of you and inspired by you for that. And the other reason I want the listener to hear the other part of the story, that part of the story we shared is because when you look at someone like Kiki, it doesn't have to be a bikini picture. It could be anything, someone out in the mall, someone at church, wherever. First of all, you never know their real story. You never know what someone has walked through. At the same time, if you see something that looks superficial, someone taking a selfie, someone showing their body, it's gonna be really easy to get triggered. It's gonna be really easy to judge them. And I just said to my husband on a walk last night, isn't it interesting? You look at someone like Kiki in her bikini with her fit, strong, amazing body, and she's gorgeous. And you have no effing clue that maybe she's taking those pictures for herself, not to show herself off to you. Maybe she's taking those pictures because she's so proud of the woman she's finally been able to, you know, become after the shit she's walked through. So side note, set Kiki aside for a minute. You know, when you see that, be really careful that you don't think you know the whole story and you don't judge the woman showing off her looks because you have no idea what's really behind it. So thank you for what you do and and what you're willing to share. And, and thank you, by the way, for starting to do video and talking to us a little bit. But let's talk you about- my inspiration. <laughs> oh, we, we had a little chat about that. Um, well, you were the inspiration for the episode that, that came out a few weeks ago uh, about why we dim our light and, and why we hold back. But so let's get into how did you go from what we just talked about to now you're happily remarried to your amazing husband. You have this beautiful life. You have two bonus children. And let's go to the, I gained a bunch of weight. I was numbing. And then now I'm, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for those kind words. I really get a little foreclumped here. <laughs> so thank you so much. I think for somebody to see me the way you've seen me is such a gift because I think you actually do see me. And it's so easy on Instagram, like you said, to just judge and say, oh, she's so full of herself, you know, showing up in a bikini. And and yes, those pictures are for me to document my journey, but they're also evidence for what I want them to be as evidence for other women that they can do this too. And I'm not special. I'm not athletically gifted at all. I'm missing a lung. Did you hear? <laughs> I'm, you know, there, there are things about me that I, I don't come from some, you know, amazing gene pool of, you know, Olympians or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not special, but I've stepped way out of my comfort zone to learn some stuff to help me to grow. 
and push me. Okay. So take us back a little bit because it's a beautiful story going from what we just shared to now what you're doing, but you had a bit of a detour because you look very different from what you looked like just two years ago. Totally. Yeah. So what you said about your own story, about kind of finding yourself in these middle years, I'll call them, but unrecognizable in the mirror, I would look in the mirror and I said, who are you? I don't, I don't see the girl with the light in her face anymore. I don't, I don't know what happened. And it felt, it was a slow creep, but then it felt really fast and sudden and, and severe because I put on total, I put on about 50 some pounds and my, my, just to kind of give numbers for people if they care about that, cause I'm not obsessed with it, but I think it's kind of important to frame the story. My lowest body weight. I was a model in my teens and early twenties. My lowest body weight that I remember was about a hundred pounds. And I was fat shamed on a, <laughs> on a modeling shoot in Milan when I was about 103 pounds. So I always thought in my head, I need to at least be 103 pounds. Now I'm five foot five. I'm a short girl, but I'm not, a, you know, you get the point. On this journey, I thought I had to be attached to the number. I have to see below 110 for anything to kind of click in my head. I sit at about 115, 117 now, and I'm so freaking happy. My story, I woke up, yeah, at probably 40, you know, mid 40s, meant up, and I just, I was drinking quite a bit, full disclosure. I was heavy into a corporate life that was really misaligned with who I am. And I was really good at my job. And Kiki, do you think, do you think that's why you were drinking? Oh, yeah. Is that why? Yeah. So you were in this corporate life and you were being probably getting accolades and doing the job very well, but it didn't align with who you are. Yes, I think that's exactly right, Jill. It didn't align with who I was. And I think it goes to that whole conversation around trying to fit in versus belong. And I kept trying to fit in and I knew I didn't. And there's a lot of people there that I loved, you know, like really good people. But the job itself, I was good at it, but I didn't like it. And I was doing it because I needed to be a breadwinner and contribute. And it's as simple as that. But yeah, it, the way it really started packing on, making poor decisions after I would drink, numbing all of the... I'm, I felt trapped in this kind of corporate cog of where do I go from here? And you know how high up the ladder do I have to be to feel, feel fulfilled or satisfied if I just get the next whatever... And truthfully, if I had sat down and been quiet with myself, I couldn't have given a crap. I didn't want any of it, but I kept drinking, kept numbing, kept making bad decisions. And I know all of that contributed to the weight gain. I, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was eating poorly. I was sleeping poorly. My stress was always really, really high. I was working insane hours that only got amplified during COVID. Suddenly they had access to us, you know, nonstop. And there yeah. really was no separation between I was working at home for a period of time, as we all were. And there was just no separation between work and home. Yeah, so many of our listeners are experiencing that. Hugely successful women who at least, I mean, they had boundaries in place so that they could take care of their family and have a life. And then the shutdown, lockdown, whatever you want to call it happened. And suddenly they've said that to me before too. They had access to me all the time and it was expected yes. that I, I had no boundaries. And it was rewarded to have no boundaries. And if you were good at your job, they just kept giving you more. Mm. And so that was a tough period. And I think you stack on perimenopause, which, by the way, no one 
had told me about. I mean, my doctors didn't tell me about this. And God bless my mother. She's been gone since 2010. Incredible woman. But we didn't talk about this. Obviously, I was much, much younger when she passed away. But I didn't have an opportunity to ask these questions. And what was your experience? And, you know, so on and so forth. I had no clue what was happening in my body. None. And the the sweats would start and the confusion, like brain fog stuff, that was real. And so getting a little deeper into that story, I went to visit my doctor. It would have been January 2020 for my annual physical. I'm 50 pounds overweight. But the doctors will always say, oh, but you're still, you know, you're fine. You're not that far above that weight range, blah, blah, blah. They would kind of diminish it. Meanwhile, I look in the mirror, I cannot recognize myself. I feel like shit about myself. Sorry for the, but but I truly did. I couldn't grasp how I wasn't pretty anymore. I wasn't, not that I, that was the, the sole purpose of any of this stuff, but it was important too. Like I just didn't feel like myself. I'd lost it. And I remember the, the doctors at that point, it was determined I was pre-diabetic. My cholesterol was quite high. And they said, yeah, you should probably lose a few pounds. If you could lose, you know, five, 10 pounds, it'd be good. But we could also put you on like insulin regimen and, you know, something like that in the not too distant future. Now, I grew up with two parents that were severely diabetic and in their early 50s were insulin dependent for the rest of their lives. So when the doctor told me that, I, I kind of freaked out. I was like, wait a second. Holy shit, I'm becoming the medical path that my parents were on. And that's terrifying to me. I don't want to live on needles for the rest of my life. Especially after what you went through. Yeah. And I said, there has to be a different way. There has to be. And I didn't know what that was. But God bless my bonus daughter, a beautiful bonus daughter, Claire. And I know you'd asked me about how did I meet my husband? That's a whole nother. We should do a podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. God bless match.com. But we've been married 16 years. I'm super, super blessed. Two bonus daughters. My son slots right in the middle. So Claire is now 28. Freddie's 26. And Chase is 24. Incredible, incredible humans. I'm just, I mm. love this family. And I'm so, so blessed. You so deserve it. And Claire happens to be a holistic fitness coach. Incredibly gifted, incredibly educated. And she had done a physique competition in her experience. And... I knew I could reach out to her and ask for some support. So I did. And she helped me with fitness programming. So I started along that journey, but she really wanted me to track macros. And I refused. That was a hard hell no for me. Will you explain what that is? Some people do do not know what that is. Tracking macros. So the macronutrients are fats, carbohydrates, and protein. Correct. Yep. That's all it is. So it doesn't mean that you can't eat certain foods. You just have to understand what they are and what the composition of those meals, what you're putting in your body or meeting a certain requirement for whatever your physique goal is. So in my case, I want to cut weight. I want to lose some weight. So I needed to understand what I was putting in my body, how it was supporting me. And she was able to kind of do that for me. However, I refused to follow it. So that's (laughs) my, my little cautionary tale there is I had very, very slow progression And anybody that does follow me on Instagram, I don't have true before pictures. The photographs that I share as my before pictures are about 15 pounds down from my heaviest. I just don't, I simply don't have them because I didn't take them. I didn't want to be seen. And even the ones that I do share, I cried like a baby, like, oh my God, just sobbed. Like, who are you? I don't, I don't see you. I don't understand what happened. But 
I was into a few months of working with Claire, having some slow progress in the gym, not understanding, you know, progressive overload, things like that. We'll get to it later. But I was spending the weekend with my sister-in-law. We're scrolling through Instagram and she's like, have you seen this woman? And she passed me her phone and it was a photograph or the Instagram story of um, Joan McDonald, who was, I don't know, 72, 73 at the time doing pull-ups, unassisted pull-ups. And my jaw dropped and I said, oh my God. And to your point, what you said a second ago, that the Harry Met Sally moment, it's exactly what I said. I want to know, I want to have exactly what she's having. I want to know exactly what she's doing, who's supporting her, how she did this. And her story sent me down a rabbit hole that I have never come up from to this day. I'm mm. still down the rabbit hole and I love it. Staying mm. down there. Staying down there. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So the language around that is very normal for you, but for someone who doesn't even really understand, I'm just going to try to repeat it and tell me if this is correct. So when you decided, I can't take it anymore, I really need to make a change, your amazing daughter Claire said, okay, so we need to track what you're eating. We need to look at your intake of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, not to diet or limit or restrict, but just because one, when you control that, you can control, you know, how much muscle you're putting on and, and how much fat you're eliminating. But also once you get to a certain age and you're getting in that perimenopause, menopause area, it's even more important to do that. And you heard that, but like a lot of us with with amazing advice, you had to do it in your time. And it's okay. Don't shame yourself. Like you, you didn't do it, not because you're stubborn or because you don't listen to people. It was too much for you to take on. Like we talk about nervous system regulation all the time and your, think about it, your nervous system. Remember, that's your home center of sense of safety. Think of how much you went through in your past with what you just described to us. Someone tells you a whole new way to be and you're like, uh, the, the nervous system alarm bells go off. No, 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 no. Like the bells in the ICU. Yeah. And your nervous system was going, I don't care if that's true. I need to stay safe. And so what's we're going to keep Kiki safe. And the way we're going to keep Kiki safe is to have her say no to this food nutrition change while she just sort of puts her sort of pinky toe in, learning how to move her body and lift some weights, right? And then your body felt safe with that. And then you were able to take on the eating. And I say that because I'm the same way, everyone is, but I, I reacted the same way. And if someone listening has felt like a failure or been shamed by a trainer or a nutritionist or a doctor, I want them to hear me say that, you know, it's okay. You're, every time you resist your body, your protective part is just coming up, just trying to protect you, right? So you honored that because if you would have pushed through and said, I'm just going to do this macro counting no matter what, you probably would have had a horrible experience. You mm -hmm. probably would have felt completely on edge all the time, et cetera, et cetera. So so you were doing the changes, making the changes with your fitness, and you said you were progressing slowly, meaning you weren't getting the results that you really wanted as fast as you wanted? Correct. Yeah, very, very slow. I think I'd lost maybe 10 pounds in a year. Um, and so fast forward to June of 21, and I had seen the Instagram for Joan McDonald, was completely floored, wanted to know everything. And her trainer is her daughter. Michelle McDonald, and she runs a transformation program for women designed primarily, I mean, she trains all, you know, all different age groups, but I would say the crux of her business is that 40 and up crowd. And so a lot of women in this season of life, and it really resonated with me. And I thought, 
those are experts that I want to tap into. And I applied for the Wonder Women Transformation Program in June of 2021 and sobbed the entire weekend. It's a very, very lengthy application process. And but I just felt called and pulled to do this. I felt so compelled to do it. I remember sitting in my kitchen, filling all this paperwork out and proofreading and editing. And like, I wanted it to be perfect <laughs> and sending it out into ether. And I, I, I cannot tell you the emotion that just came up in this whole process of applying for for this program. Long story short, I did not get in right away. They wrote me back six weeks or so later and said, you know, we love your application. We don't have any spots open. Can we put you on a waiting list? And I said, yes, thank you. That would be great. How long do you anticipate? And they said, well, it might be a year. <sighs> I thought, oh, and my, my heart just sank. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I know and keep growing and learning and trying to, you know, figure this out. Well, at this point in time, I was really wrestling with, do I leave corporate America? I had really recognized that this was just not a good fit for me any longer. And I did have some other wonderful options that I could pivot to. And I decided to take a leap and do that. So I gave my notice to my job in August, beginning of August 21. And my last day was September 10th. And September 11th, I got a note from the Wonder Women that they had a spot open for October 4th. And could I start? Could I commit to that? Of course you did. And I was like, oh my God, the universe just said I had to do this. So yeah, buckle up. Here we go. And one of the requirements for the Wonder Women program was learning macros and committing <laughs> to tracking macros. And so I was confronted with what I was resisting for working with Claire. And Claire was so sweet. And it's because she's family, honestly, that I couldn't, you know, we couldn't kind of get over that together. It's not her fault. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I have some time and space now. I'm going to really hunker down and do this and learn it. And I'm so grateful I did. Let's go back to, on one hand, it's obvious. On the other hand, it's actually very nuanced and most people pass by this part. So I'm just going to go back and highlight. I know you already know this. I'm not teaching you anything, but it's just so fascinating, right? The way you, the, the universe works because it's like the analogy I've, or maybe it's a metaphor. I never can remember the difference that I've always seen in my mind's eye when it comes to anything like change like this is like a parking lot, right? And the parking lot is full. Or you could think of even just like a parking spot, let's say, and it's full, right? And that was that job of yours, that career. So that career was like taking up the space and energy of you and keeping you at a certain level energetically. And you needed to one, free up that space so, this, so that this Wonder Woman project could come in there. But I also believe that you had to cut ties with that so that the universe could see, okay, she really is ready to level up. Because you trying to do the Wonder Woman thing while you were in that corporate job, it's just not going to work. It's not. It's like I'm it's it's like trying to be in two different worlds at the same time. And so you cut ties and said, I choose me, motherfucker. I choose me. Okay, you hear that? And the universe and so I know some people don't like the word universe. Use whatever word you want. The way the world works, the way energetics work is that the universe energetics heard her and watched her actually make this choice. And she decided to own that first. You know, the whole be, do, have principle, right? We talked a little bit ago about you have to be it. You saw yourself running 
feeling the sunshine on your face. You didn't just say, I'm going to picture my, I'm going to think maybe it'd be great if I could run and get out of this hospital one day. You pictured it day after day after day after day after day and you felt it and you embodied it. Then you got that. So with this, you, you decided to be the energy of what you wanted when you got into the Wonder Woman program. You wanted that so badly. You said, I'm ready. Sign me up. I'm ready. And you, the universe said, nope. Why? Because you had to choose it with your actions. You had to choose it yeah. not with just, I'm ready. Okay. I really want to lose this weight. No. The universe like, really? Show us. And you said, unrelated, of course, this job isn't serving me. I'm finally going to leave. Right? Right. So the language the universe speaks is different than the language we speak. And I just, to me, it's just so obvious that you got rid of that. And then Wonder Woman project or program comes up right after that because it wouldn't have fit. It's like trying on a suit that's too big. Like it wouldn't have fit you. Totally. I think you make a really good point. Okay. So as you're listening in real time, you might be wondering why it's like I interrupt this program with an important message. <laughs> the message is I'm sitting here right now with Kiki, but it's much later, much after the original recording. Something happened that has never happened before in my podcasting experience and nothing happens by accident and nothing is coincidence. The podcast cut off right where you just stopped hearing us talk. It cut off and we lost like 15, maybe 20 minutes of podcasting. And we thought, oh, no, no problem. You know, everything happened for a reason. We're just going to get back on and we'll just pick up where we left off. However, we've got a little bit of an important detour. And Kiki, I'm actually going to let you pick it up where I'm leaving it right there. So welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, it's so interesting. Since the time that we spoke, there's been a really interesting reflection on my part about my home journey and where we left off in our talking was, was really about my joining the wonder women and how that came about. I, I left my corporate career and I found this incredible online transformation program that just truly has changed my life. And in that program, we do so much mindset work, which I think is really at the core of how we can be successful because without really digging into past stories, past narratives, belief systems as to how we feel about ourselves. I needed to uncover all of that and look at it, the ugly, the dark, the cold, the really dirty corners of my life to understand how I got to where I was in a very unhealthy body, unhealthy state where I didn't love myself. I wasn't taking care of myself physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I'll go as far as to say with my alcohol abuse and eating, I was using those to numb, for sure, a lot of, of past pain. And we talked about, you know, some of the big events in my life, but one in particular just keeps knocking at the door. And that is a period of time after that kind of coincides with my getting really ill, being in a medically induced coma, losing my right lung just before that. So we're about 18 months passed when my husband had passed away. I, I don't want to say accidentally, but kind of got into this relationship with a man, wasn't ready for any sort of dating experience this time in my life. Not at all. But I just sort of fell into it because I was deeply wounded and vulnerable, had all of these narratives 
in my head about, I can't be a single mom. I can't do this on my own. I need a father for my kid. I mean, all these kind of stories in the back of my mind. But suffice it to say, I fell into a relationship that I simply omit from my life story. So when I'm getting to know someone new and we're kind of sharing stories and getting to know one another, I will simply erase this from the record. And I find it now really interesting to look back on my health journey and understanding how I became so deeply unhealthy, pre-diabetic, high cholesterol, lots of alcohol, um, you know, overeating. I fell into that, I think, more deeply because of having experienced a really traumatic relationship with this individual who put me in a very unsafe, psychologically unsafe and physically unsafe situations. And I very, I'm very lucky that eventually I woke up and listened to my gut. And to kind of give you a timeline here, I had been in this coma. We had started dating, you know, pretty casually just a few months before that experience. So when I emerged from this medical nightmare and I'm recovering, he's there. And he's amazing. And he's showing up for my kid. And he's just, he's really wonderful. He's fabulous. My gut the entire time, if I'm honest, and I can only say this in retrospect, was completely creeped out by this guy. Completely knew that there was something not right, but I could not understand what it was. And so I just kept overriding what my gut was telling me. Totally overriding because I must be wrong. And I'm so wounded. I'm so scared. I'm so vulnerable. How am I going to be a single mom? How am I going to do all this? And I'm I'm just recovering from this life-threatening illness. And I just don't know how to function. So yes, please come into my life and help me drive because I am just so desperate and just broken. And he absolutely (laughs) was a horrible human being. I'm just going to flat out say it like that. And without going into a lot of detail, because it's hard for me to talk about, I was put into some very scary situations that looking back on, there's a lot of psychological trauma that I experienced. I ended up leaving that marriage very abruptly when I found out the details of kind of what he had been hiding from me for all these years. And all these years, all, you know, short period of time, just a couple of years. But I immediately left that relationship. He was on a business trip out of town for a week. And I had this absolute, I call it a ping from the universe. It's maybe as strange as that may sound. It just felt this overwhelming message to go look in his computer, which I did. Figured out what his password was to his AOL account. And I found things in there that validated what my gut had been saying all along, that something was off and something was so off and, you know, really scary activity. And I I don't mean to kind of leave some titillation out there for the, for the listener here as to what was that scary thing. Um, he had a sex addiction, a really scary one. I mean, not that, not that any sex addiction is okay or whatever. I'm not going to, but, but a very um, deep, dark, addiction. And obviously I want no part of that. There was, you know, parts of this putting me into psychological danger land. Um, and, and that sounds maybe really dramatic to say, but it's, it's the reality that I can't stress enough how 
traumatic this was for me. I left the, the relationship, did all the right things to kind of preserve security and safety around me, my, my home, my son, my, my life, and get myself back on track. But what happened in that, that process, and I didn't realize I was doing this, I started to self-harm. I felt so dirty and so shameful from what he had chosen to do with his life and take, you know, kind of put me in harm's way in in a lot of ways. I would do things like, you know, and I'll tell the viewer this, it's very vulnerable, but I would stand in the shower and I couldn't scrub myself clean enough. And I would scrub with a loofah into my arm blood. Oh my God. And I would put myself in kind of those, I didn't know how to heal from it. It was so just gross and disgusting. And I, I couldn't wrap my head around how somebody could behave this way and yet appear so normal in real life, you know, coach soccer and show up at your kids, you know, musical and just, you know, be the great guy in the community and have a great job, super intelligent, extremely manipulative, extremely controlling. And so I carried a lot of shame for putting myself or allowing myself to be in that relationship. And I think as I'm really honest in this health journey that I've gone on with the Wonder Women and my fabulous coaches that I've worked with, I've had an opportunity, a real gift to kind of go back and look at these experiences in my life and see how they've stacked up and then really sit with myself and say, why do I omit this particular chapter from the story? Because I, and I know I've said this to you before, it's almost like I lie about it, but I don't lie in the sense where I change the story or details or come up with anything. I simply omit it. I cut it out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist. So much so that I think there's shame in our society around if somebody were to say they've been married multiple times. Well, what's wrong with that person? (laughs) You've been married so many times. Especially women. So unfair to women. You must be crazy. When people might not understand that I was widowed, I didn't choose that. This guy was cuckadoodle do. I didn't choose that, or you know. And then I, I carry some shame for sure, but but also sort of a people have said to me, "Oh, well, you co-created that situation," and I'm like, I'm always confused by that. Maybe there's some truth in that. I don't know. I'm not ready to say I co-created anything, but was I vulnerable? Yes. Was I scared? Yes. So in that sense, sure, I put myself in a situation to allow allow myself to not listen to my gut either. I wasn't listening to my gut. But all this to say, how does this relate back to my health journey? I think in a big way. And that is, I was trying to put protection around myself. I wasn't wanting to look at this. I was wanting to bury it. And so alcohol and food were really convenient. I literally built padding and bubble wrap around myself. I stacked on 50 pounds. I made myself ugly. That sounds really dramatic. I made myself less attractive physically. I absolutely was in a in a place of self-harm for a period of time, all the while trying to learn how to be a self a single mom and work a corporate career and show up and be my best and do all those things. But I was numbing a lot. And so I say that because I think it's a really important part of my story and my journey, if I'm really honest with myself. How did I get to be 50 years old and so unhealthy where now I'm knocking on the door of being a diabetic and needing insulin and needing other medical interventions to live a quote unquote healthy life? 
and going down a path that I'd seen my parents be really sick and die maybe a little prematurely from comorbidities related to diabetes. So I have fear now around this actual disease state starting to show up in my body. But when I sit with how did they show up? How did I get there? What was going on in my life? A lot of things stacked up really quickly. And I don't give a lot of reverence or what I'm not sure what the right word to use is to that particular chapter of my story. When really, if I'm honest with myself, that one really caused me to not like my physical body, not love myself and carry so much shame forward that that now needs to be healed. And it's, it's definitely something that I continue to work on. I do think I've come a long, long way. But even saying the story out loud is kind of like, oh my God, <laughs> it's really vulnerable. Mm, so proud of you. Let me just say that I'm so proud of you for sharing this with me in, in the last week or so, and then being willing to share with the listeners here. I mean, that's that's a big deal. And I, I also want to just empathize with how hard that is to even say it and about how brave it is as well. And, you know, I... I want to just circle back to when people said you co-created, it feels like blame and there's no blame here. I mean, you absolutely were a victim in that situation. And when I think of co-creation, I think of your trauma was co-creating it, not you. Mm. Your trauma brought him in. Your unresolved pain that you went through, just this horrific experience of losing twin babies and losing the love of your life, the way you lost him you know, that's just my opinion is that then that that was the beacon drawing in this low vibration person, not the real mm. you, you know, that's what brought it in. It's remember, we are we're looking for what's familiar, not really what we need. It's what keeps us safe and safe is familiar. So what was familiar was pain and agony. And you brought in more pain and agony, you know, but not really yeah. you, you know, but remember, your highest self was saying, I need to scrub myself clean. Your highest self was saying, this isn't right. There's something off here. Your highest self, the ping from the universe, that wasn't a coincidence. Look in his computer because you weren't meant to live in that low, dark existence. You were meant to live a different life. And so you, and you sharing that here, I know that wasn't the focus of this conversation in this episode yet there are women listening right now, Kiki, who you've just liberated because they were like, oh my God, if someone that successful and that beautiful went through something like that, then maybe there's nothing wrong with me because we feel like we're the problem when we do have a a partner that is, you know, abusive in some way. And so it's, it's such a gift that you shared it. We could have just left it out and it would have been a great episode, but thank you for adding that. But the other thing I said to you off, the podcast that I know, you know, someone listening might go, okay, I get it too. There was something that didn't make sense about the story, not because like, oh, there's a missing piece. Let's try to investigate. It just, it was like, how did someone go from almost losing their life and losing their partner to suddenly being overweight, unhealthy, et cetera? Like, was it just the grief? Maybe it was just the grief. Now it really makes sense. It was a form of self-harm. And as you said, protection, you know, that padding of literal fat padding protection. You know, my my healer has told me that people can take this or leave it, but I accepted it as truth, is that, you know, when you have 
the padding around your belly. Cause I have, even when I was really, really thin, I always had like this padding of fat hmm. around my belly button. She said, that's your, that's your seatbelt, honey. That's your safety belt. Oh, wow. We, we will, we'll put on a safety belt, a physical safety belt. Cause I was like 110 pounds and I always had a little bit no matter how fit I was, you know, right around my belly button and my and below from hip to hip. And she said, it's just, it's okay. But to understand that's your way of feeling safe. And it is fascinating. Yeah. And then the other thing will feel like a bunny trail, but it's actually so fascinating is that, you know, trauma has a certain energy and pain has a certain energy. All that stuff has a certain energy. And so do toxins and so do parasites and so do, right? And all of that stuff is attracted to that. Every All of it is very low vibration, you know? So it makes sense too. And then on top of that, eating poorly and then drinking alcohol. But I feel like your body would have figured out a way to pad itself no matter what to protect you. And, and think about this. You said that you you actually used the word ugly and then you corrected yourself. And I know why you corrected yourself because I would have too. Like you don't want women to think that you're saying that if you're a little 50 pounds overweight, you're ugly. That's not what you're saying. But, no. but there's a reason you said ugly. But you know what? I feel like your true self said the word ugly for a reason because that's how you felt in that abusive relationship. It was just ugliness. So you were making yourself ugly, but also perhaps you were protecting yourself even from him. If I have a layer of, of fat around me, maybe I'll be less attractive. Maybe I can stay safe down in here somewhere in my little cocoon, you know? Um, it's beautiful. I really appreciate that you circled back and shared that. Yeah. The one really incredible thing that happened, that a good thing that came out of that whole experience was he had an ex-wife who he'd also done this to. And she is a lovely, lovely woman. And she and I are now friends. And I was able to share what I knew when I discovered everything that, that was going on. And it was quite a, a long, drawn out thing. In any event, I was able to share about him, everything that I just discovered. And suddenly her life made sense. Oh. She had no idea. And she was like, oh my God. God, that's exactly what was going on. So let me ask you this. When did you meet her? Had you met her before? I had met her. I had met her before. She's lovely. They had a little boy together. But did he say to you, oh, I've got a crazy ex-wife or did you say nothing? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Of course he did. A hundred percent. Tried to kind of keep us. And, and I would, you know, see her to do kid exchange or whatever. Her, her little boy was just a couple months older than my son. So it was really nice that they had each other and they were great playmates and it was really nice. She, I always liked her. I always did. It was always like, she's such a nice person. She's such a great mom. And and I couldn't understand. He would try to, or it, it felt in retrospect in a way that he would try to make sure that we really didn't have anything to do with each other. Sure. And that there was unkind words maybe said about her to make me believe she was X, Y, or Z. She wasn't. She was, she's a phenomenal human being. And we're friends today. And what a beautiful gift that I get out of this kind of crazy experience. But but yeah, 100%, I need to really be honest with myself that how I got unhealthy had so much to do with that particular slice of my life. And not knowing how to heal, not knowing what to do next, not knowing how to kind of nurture and take care of the wounds so that I could move on and be a healthy version of myself. And it wasn't until this incredible opportunity to work with these coaches at Wonder Women and be a part of this 
amazing community, which I consider you a part of too, that I've had the ability to meet women all over IG land and in this, this really beautiful community that have helped me to heal. Mm -hmm. And I just feel I need to be completely honest with myself and say, you know what, this happened. I don't need to carry shame forward about it. I need to just release it Mm. and just, you know, yeah, be free of it. I mean, even just energetically, you just like lost a hundred pounds. I mean, right now, just saying it out loud and saying, okay, I'm just not admitting it anymore. You know, I love that. And I know you're a big fan of Brene Brown. You know, she says that shame is the gatekeeper to vulnerability. And so the shame of how did I let this happen? I'm a smart person. How did I let this guy into my life? How did I become a victim of his? Like, what's wrong with me? That shame. I was married a second time and I don't want people to know that it's actually three. That was keeping you from really sharing what was underneath it. And now people listening and hearing that, it's like medicine for them. And even if Kiki, they don't have any, a story like that, maybe they're just looking at their weight right now. And they're like, you know, I could look at myself and say that I've I've gained some weight because of menopause. I've gained some weight because of this or that. But now that I heard what she's saying, maybe I really should look into the trauma that's underneath because maybe there's a deeper reason. Maybe they're not overweight, but maybe there's a deeper reason that they drink more wine than probably is good for them or, or a good, a better reason that they don't drink enough water or they don't take care of themselves. Maybe they don't have a weight issue, but they're not really taking care of themselves and they don't understand until they hear your story that maybe it has something to do with the relationship I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the relationship I was in and then the belief system I built around me, that I must've been like, something was wrong with me to have had all of this stuff happen. Even if none of that's rational, right? I know it's not rational. But what that particular relationship taught me, or I started to believe and internalize was a really negative perception of me, belief system of me. I'm unworthy. I'm not beautiful. I could layer on a whole list. And those became my story and my belief system. I'm so glad you said that. You took what I said. And I'm so glad you actually like immediately came back and said that because I said, you know, maybe what they're experiencing is because of the relationship they're in. And you said, for me, it was the story I created around it. And I'm like, yeah, that, what was I thinking? Yes. It's not the relationship. It's like, it's what you say about the relationship and what you make it mean about yourself. And you just pointed all this, everything back to you. How did I cause this? What's wrong with me? And, and yeah, I'm so glad we're talking about this. It, and you know, it, it's it's just such another beautiful reminder. There are things that you and I both know are true, but we still need to have them repeated. Like things are cliches for a reason. Like saying that everything happens for a reason, we need to keep saying that because the fact that 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 coincidentally the podcast just the the, the equipment I have, which is such good equipment, just happened to stop recording at a certain point and we lost that, then how long? It's been months, hasn't it? It's been months. Wasn't it June maybe? Yeah, it was summertime. It was yeah, like July. Yeah, yeah. A long yeah. time ago. And then you had this, you know, aha about all of it. And then this desire to finally just come out about it. And then you're willing to do it on here. It, it's just none of that was by accident. So that's another reminder of this episode today is that, you know, <laughs> just trust the timing, trust yourself, yeah. trust your inner knowing. It's never wrong. That's such a powerful word, trust. 
we don't think we think of trusting other people and trusting circumstances or trusting. I never thought of trusting myself and the, the whole journey of, of self-efficacy and self-trust and, you know, showing up in the gym and crying and not wanting to do whatever XYZ workout or I'm plan my macros, whatever it is that relates to my health journey and stuff I didn't want to do. The more I did the stuff, the more I started to trust myself. I was building a relationship with myself for the first time. Yeah. That was a healthy one. Because before I would, I would, I would have every excuse under the sun. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, we all have that that narrative, right? Or some of a lot of us do. I deserve the glass of wine. I deserve the food. I deserve the dessert. I deserve all the stuff to continue the padding, doing all the stuff. And I was breaking trust with myself all the time because I I had the story of, oh, I'll just start on Monday. It's Thursday. I'm going to, I'll be blotto until Monday and then I'll start. Well, Monday, I'm I'm too hungover to start. Speaking of no coincidences, okay? So you and I have had private conversations, but that's 100% where I am. And I'm so glad you just said what you said because this now is medicine for me because when it came to business, I never made excuses. I would show up when no one else showed up and I would show up consistently. I mean, I was like consistent AF, as they say, like I'm talking Saturday mornings and I would even say to myself, you know, the people that tell me that businesses like this don't work, they're the ones fucking sleeping in right now. Okay, I'm up on a Saturday morning 10 years in and I'm working. And I'm doing this. I'm getting out of my comfort. And I was just a badass with that. And when it comes to this journey now of me getting in the gym and actually moving my body, and I'm telling you, it is so hard for me, Kiki. Like I am being confronted in a whole new way. Like, who am I? Everything you just said, that's what I say. Okay, fine. I'll just do it Monday. Or I deserve to rest. I'm I'm exhausted. Or I don't want to learn. I don't want to freaking figure it out. I don't want to look at a stupid thing and click a link and do that. I don't want to do that. Like I have all this just internal dialogue and like chatter and battle going on with me. And again, by no coincidence, this morning I had some guys come in and I'm proud of myself because I'm committing to finally starting to do video. I told you it's been something I don't want to do. I don't want to look at a camera. I don't want to be on camera. And it has nothing to do with weight. I just like, I feel very much more creative when no one's looking and I'm just quietly talking to my mic, right? But there's a point to my bunny trail here. I had these guys come in to look at moving my podcast, a recording site into this walk-in closet behind me. And so that's like a big, like taking an action. It's like hiring a coach. I'm like, I'm doing it. Like we are doing this, right? In that conversation with them, I thought to myself, like, oh my gosh, like, I had said to you a couple of weeks ago, just like our housewife show that we like, we're having a new season with BU. Like, you know, we just passed three years with the podcast and this is a new season. I never thought of it like that until I watched my show and I was like, oh, season four of BU. With that season, thank so you exciting. so much. Yeah. I realized this morning talking to these guys, you know what? I talked at the beginning of this year and at the end of the last season and and really promised the listener that we were going to have these different pillars. And one of the pillars may not sound like it goes with be you, but it is about being yourself, your healthiest self. And I was going to get into, you know, like biohacking and like unconventional healing and and health and wellness and have episodes like that. Have I done it? I didn't realize Kiki till this morning. Oh my God, I'm avoiding the episodes about that because I don't want to do that. 
I don't want to have episodes about health because then I have to fucking look at the fact that I'm not taking care of myself. That's why I haven't had them. I've done everything but that. Like, let's talk more about trauma. Let's talk more about spirituality. Let's just do a little more. Oh, that's going to be boring. We won't do that. And the truth is, I realized today, I am not talking about it because I don't want to face it and I don't want to look at it because it's going to be hard for me. Business wasn't hard for me. Like it was hard work, but it wasn't hard for me. Health and wellness was never hard for me. I was a size two. I ate whatever I wanted. I worked out here and there and I, I still had muscle tone. Like it was not a problem. And now I have to take myself on and really, really look at it. And I don't fucking want to do it. So thank you for kind of unintentionally calling me forward. I love that term, by the way. People say calling you out. And I used to say that. Yeah. I would call people out. And uh, someone I learned from said, um, no, it's calling someone forward. Calling them out is trying to embarrass them. Mm -hmm. Calling them forward. Yeah. Calling them forward is a loving thing. I'm going to kind of call you on your shit a little bit is calling you forward. Calling you out is I'm going to call you out in front of everybody to make you feel bad and make me feel good. So you called me forward by saying what you just said about starting on Monday and all that, because that's what I say to myself. Literally, it'll be Friday. And I'm like, oh, fine. I don't need to worry about this weekend. I'll just worry about it Monday. And I used to kind of, if I'm really honest, kind of poke fun at and also say I don't get dieters mindset or that mentality of people who diet. I've never had a scale in my life. I've never been on a diet in the past. And I've become that. Like I'm a hundred percent that. I have empathy for the start on Monday people because I'm I'm you. That's who I've become lately. So there's that. There's my confessional. Well, and hey, I've started on Monday a thousand times with a thousand different diets. Atkins, Jenny Craig, and I are old friends. I mean, we've <laughs> I've done them all, literally all of them. And when the pain of staying where I was got so great. And I mean, emotionally, right? That's when I was ready to change. And it was work. And I think for me, having professional help, I needed help. I couldn't just do it on my own. I needed that coach. I needed the community, which I'm not a group activity girl at all. I'm In not fact, either. I kind of shuddered at the idea. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I don't do group activities. I'm... I'm the straight A student over here by myself in a corner. No, 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 no. I can do this. But the reality is I couldn't. I needed that community. And what happened was we got in the trenches together and I saw other women doing what I wanted to do and women that were further along in their health journeys ahead of me. And I I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be like Joan McDonald, who in her 70s talked about found health. And then I I went down the rabbit hole and found her daughter at TWW, who's now my coach. I started finding examples of what was possible and looking to these women as just shining, gleaming examples in front of me of what I could do too. And then just taking one more step. And I'm not going to pretend it wasn't ugly. And it still is some days. There are absolutely days I still wake up and think I don't want to do it. But what's happened now is I built trust with myself. Mm, back to the trust. Built discipline because motivation's crap. Motivation doesn't exist. People say to me, oh, how are you so motivated to do that? And you know, good for you. It's like, it, there is no motivation. I'm not motivated. I am disciplined. And I trust myself. Mm, I love that. The other day I read something. Do you agree with this? In talking about trust, it said something like, To build trust with yourself, you just have to keep a promise to yourself a few times consistently. 
But here's the part I didn't think about. And this is what I'm doing. When you don't keep a promise to yourself, you need to be very clear that you are eroding trust and you're teaching yourself not to trust yourself and trust your own body. And and here I hold the whole podcast and my whole life is about being me and following my intuition and, and truly not giving a shit what anyone thinks and only doing what feels right for me. I say that and I do live my life like that. But then there's this one little dirty, stinky sandwich in the foundation of my house that I don't want to fucking take out and look at. And that is this area of my life, which is, I would say, health, wellness, fitness, nutrition, whatever you want to call it, where I don't love myself properly. And I don't keep promises to myself. And I put everybody ahead of me, including things that are not even good for me ahead of that. And that's my next, that's my next mountain. I'm telling you, I, I'm not going to walk. I could just walk away from it. I'm not going to, I am going to look at it head on and face it. And I will take the listener on that journey. It's not going to be easy, but anyway, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that whole thing of the keeping the promises? And then if you don't keep the promises. I a hundred percent agree with it. I, I do believe it erodes trust. And I personally, I had eroded trust for so long. I didn't even know what trust looked like for myself. I mean, and, and in this particular area of my life, around self-love, around taking care of myself, because what you just said really resonated with me, I would take care of everybody else, everything else. I would work tirelessly at my corporate job. First one there, last one to leave all the time. But I wasn't doing anything to fill my own tank, to really, truly take care of myself. There was no self-trust or self-efficacy, none. Mm-hmm. But everybody else could take it to the bank that I will show up and do everything for them 100% of the time. The interesting thing is that when I started to build trust with myself, everyone around me got more of me. When I think in my my illogical brain, that they would get less. I can't possibly spend time on myself because it's taking away from the time that I'm going to give to my family, my friends, my job, blah, blah, blah. The reality is we create time. And the reality is the more time I gave to myself, the more I truly showed up and cared for myself, the more trust I built with myself. Everyone in my family got better versions of me. More complete, more time, more everything. Amen. I love this. And a more powerful version of you, right? Yeah. Like a more powerful, healthy version of you instead of like scraps. Totally. Everyone's getting scraps because you're just dividing yourself up into a million pieces and doing nothing for you. I'm talking to myself. I had a woman stay in my home who I had mentioned a couple of times, Joy Harrington. Some people on the show follow her. Great podcast, successful influencer, pretty young in her thirties. And she stayed in our home for two weeks and I was like really confronted by her. And when I say confronted, confronted by how much she loved herself and how much she put herself first. Like it was hard for me, Kiki. Like I am telling you, I was, I, my bitchy side came out where I was standing in my office. I looked out and I'm like, you know, she's got a cute little outfit on her matching set for her workout. Her hair looks cute. She's got her water bottle and she's walking from my front door out to our garage where our gym is. The first thought was not, God, good for her. Do you know what my first thought was? I can't give a sentence because it wasn't an actual sentence, but my first thought was was jealousy and judgment. I don't want to say this stuff out loud, but it's the truth. It was jealousy and judgment 
well, should she be in here with her kids? Like, are they okay? Do they like, like, does she really mm. need to be out there an hour and a half? Come on. Does she really need to be out there an hour and a half and then go inside and do her hair and do her makeup and get dressed another hour? Because I was comparing her to my effed up way of being, which is everybody gets a slice of me. I don't even get a slice of me. And, and I'm just going to be operating on whatever to get through the day as long as everybody else has what they need. And I had to really check myself. And then I was like, that's no different than the people who look at someone with an expensive watch or a nice car and they go, oh, of course they have that asshole. Must be nice. Right, must be nice. And I talk people out of thinking that way, but I did the same thing with her. So I asked myself, what is it, Jill? What is it so that's so confronting about her? She's your mirror. So what is it? And and I did a little bit of self-coaching. And what I realized, Kiki, was... I'm jealous and I'm sad because she loves herself more than I love myself because I don't love myself enough to do that. And I also had an aha a second ago when we were talking about you and I with business. I thought to myself, because I know other people in my life like that, they do so well in business and so well in all these areas, but their health, it's just constant breaking promise, breaking promise, breaking promise. And I realized this may not be true for everyone, but for me, I realized. That, that doing everything else with consistency and everything it takes with your health and not doing it with health, I think is because when it comes to that, it's about approval, performance, and being good enough for everybody else because you need that outsourcing. When it comes to my personal journey with health and wellness, I don't have to please anyone but me. There's no one to perform for. So I fail and I disappoint myself because I don't matter enough. But that this, I'm actually having this aha, right? As I'm speaking in real time, when if everything else, the reason I was so driven is because someone else is getting something out of it or saying something about it or I'm helping someone else. When it comes to me doing what I really want to do, some of it having nothing to do with looks, some some of it definitely having to do with looks, right? One, I want to look great too. Just the feeling of I'm fit, I'm strong, I've moved. I'm not doing it for anyone else. So what's the motivation? I mean, that's, oh my gosh, that's a big one. I talk a lot about in my own personal journey about the sadness I have felt when I first started working out and getting used to being in the gym and feeling uncomfortable this sadness would come over me and I was like, what is going on? And at the bottom of that, I was sad because I had abandoned myself for so long. And it really just would hit me between the eyes. And now as I've built trust, I've been in this journey a little over two years now that I've built this trust and I'm so like a high five in myself and my, in my brain that I just showed up and it might not have been my best workout. That's okay. I got down there. I cranked some tunes. I listened to a great podcast. A lot of them are yours. And I will just get after it and do the thing that builds the trust and just keep showing up and keeping my promise. And and sometimes on the days I don't want to do it, to be honest, I'll play a game and I'll say, okay, Kiki, you only have to get down there for 10 minutes and then you can quit. I've never quit. No <laughs> once. Because I get down there and 10 minutes later, I've forgotten it's 10 minutes. And I'm like, hey, I may as well finish this thing. It's feeling pretty good. And not once have I ever regretted going, not once. But I think the most beautiful thing for me, well, many beautiful things, but one of them is just starting to love myself. 
And I used to think, oh, self-love, that's so conceited and weird. And like, what are you talking about? And But the reality is self-love is absolutely essential. It is. We have to stop abandoning ourselves for everybody else. Yeah. And I'm someone who's been practicing self-love in all these other ways, not faking it, like genuinely practicing self-love in in many ways and not doing it when it comes to taking care of my body. So am I really loving myself? Like it's just, this has been beautiful for me, really. This this last like 10 minutes or so, I've had some big ahas thanks to you. And because, you know, you don't, one of my friends said, I called her Yoda. She was always so wise. She would always say, I don't know what I think till I hear myself speak. Oh, I love that. Isn't that good? I don't know what I think until I hear myself speak. And so as you've been talking, I've been processing. And then as I've been talking, I've been processing. I've had some big ahas in the last 10 minutes that I have never had before, actually. And I'm so glad we're talking about self-love. It's a conscious project. It's not just words. It's not just accepting yourself as is and loving yourself as is. It's loving yourself as is and being honest about what truly loving yourself means. And, you know, also not being in your body and not exercising is a great way to avoid being present and avoid really being there. And there's probably a little bit of that too. But I'm going to, I'm going to really look at this for myself and be very honest with myself about it because I feel myself coming up to a crossroads where it's like to the point where you described where it has to get bad enough that I'm really going to commit. And I'll, I'll share that transparently. But I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on this episode. And like, I think about what we've covered from the first minute of the conversation until now. I mean, this has been amazing. Well, thank you, Jill, for the opportunity to do this. I mean, I can't tell you what it's meant to me to kind of go on this journey with you in such a safe place to share all these really open and vulnerable parts of my story. And And I get a little bit lost in terms of remembering what we talked about and when we first recorded back in July or so to today, but we have, we've covered an awful lot and I'm just, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do this and share. Mm, Thank thank you. you so much. And I encourage everyone, you know, what you didn't hear Kiki that you'll hear when you listen to this episode is I already recorded your introduction. And one thing I said was that you are the first person I have had on who I know you take a few clients. You do you do a little bit of coaching with just a couple of clients, but that's like a very much a side thing for you. And you don't, you're not going to expand that. So you're not on here. No one has come on here with an agenda. Let me be clear. But you're the first person I've had on just because I really like you. And I just wanted everybody to meet you and also hear your story. You know, it, you're the first one. And here we are in a new season and it's a really unique episode. And and we have gone from, you know, we've we've talked for about your your story and your heartache and your grief and your loss and what that looked like to that it's not really about the bathing suit to the parking lot analogy of you leaving corporate to how that brought in the Wonder Woman project for you. And then we went to this, what we just revealed recently, and then back to health and wellness and fitness. And it's it's been such a freaking gift. And I encourage people to find Kiki on Instagram, let yourself be confronted and let yourself be inspired. Let her be a trigger for you. I'm talking, you're going to see her in a bikini at her age. And you're going to be like, on one hand, oh my God. And, and on the other hand, you're going to be like, what the fuck? Are you serious? Like, you're like breaking the girl code. Do you, do you really have to look that good? Like, but it's going to be good for you to see that. 
Because when you look at her, I want you to pay very close attention to what your brain says and what you feel in your body. And then really look at her posts and, and go back through some of her reels where she shares deeper about what she does in this community she's a part of. And so I appreciate you so much, Kiki. I'm so excited about our friendship growing and about you being a part of this. I really am. And I I appreciate everything you've given. Thank you so much. Loved it. 